Salvador, how are you? Yes, well, concept creep is a, a term uh, that has uh, been used by uh, University of Melbourne Professor Nicholas Hassan. And concept creep um, is, uh, as, as he says, is a term used to describe when a concept um, starts out in one sense or using one sense and then expands qualitatively and quantitatively in through different phenomena. So uh, Professor Haslam uh, cites the, the example of trauma, which uh, started out having quite a narrow definition, but over time, as it's been used, um, uh, has been used to, it encompasses wider phenomena qualitatively and uh, quantitatively uh, broader phenomena. So it started out to describe uh, severe events of trauma, uh, but it's now expanded to well, basically less severe uh, phenomena, which is covered by this label of trauma. Um, and that can create issues in, in therapy. Um, so uh, to describe something which uh, is in the scheme of things, perhaps not as severe as uh, traumatic, um, that can create issues. So uh, that that is Professor Haslam's um, uh, concept, if you will, of uh, concept three. Yeah, Well, I think there is a lot to be said for the notion of uh, being clear um, about uh, what's going on and what we should do about things. Um, as I've said elsewhere, uh, liberty requires clarity. And uh, that is a, a principle which uh, can guide um, uh, all our actions, um, being clear about understanding what's going on and uh, what we should do about it. And conceptual rigor is uh, a big part of clarity. So. Um, when it comes to, um, I've written about the harm principle, when it, when it comes to the harm principle, we need to be clear about uh, just uh, what's going on when it comes to harm. Um, in particular, uh, what is being harmed and how it's being harmed and what is, what is this concept of harm. Look, uh, in uh, a working definition that I'm using for liberty at the moment is that liberty is principal freedom. Um, so we have got this broad freedom to act, but we do need to act in accordance with certain principles. But if we are to act in accordance with certain principles, we need to be clear about what those principles are. Um, you know, what we will and want to do, what we should and shouldn't do, uh, what we can and can't do. So 
uh, we do need to be clear about these things. And so uh, the uh, rigorous definition of uh, concepts or terms is an important part of that process. Yeah, well, with regards to the harm principle, uh, first articulated um, by John Stuart Mill, um, the harm principle was uh, essentially this. It restricts someone's liberty in order to, or restrictions on liberty rather, can only be justified if it's to prevent harm to others. Now, when it comes to conceptual rigor, let's consider uh, harm in the sense that John Stuart Mill uh, articulated and Mill, it's clear from his writings in On Liberty, uh, intended a narrow definition of harm. Um, he meant it in the sense of physical injury. Um, why do we know this? Well, he speaks elsewhere in On Liberty of um, an expansive uh, freedom of conscience and opinion. So it's clear that the, the, the sense in which he used harm was in that narrow sense in preventing uh, physical uh, injury to others. That's the only basis for um, preventing someone's or restricting rather someone's liberty of action. Um, but the concept of harm itself has been subject to concept proof. It's um, expanded with respect to the harm principle to um, essentially different phenomena. So there is this broader sense of harm, um, which entails um, ill effects. Uh, of some description, so you can have the chances of something happening harmed, you know, that's uh, that kind of a broader definition of harm. Um, and this broader definition of harm has crept into the harm principle. So what we have here is um, uh, lawmakers, um, people more generally thinking, well, I'm acting in accordance with harm principle here by uh, making laws with respect to broader harms. Um, but really, when you look back at how Neil intended the harm principle to operate, no, that, that's, that's not what he intended. So I think there is something to be said for um, a bit of conceptual repair when it comes to the harm principle. Mm. When it comes to um, navigating the harm principle, I think it's useful to 
uh, be clear uh, about well, two things. First of all, what is going on? And secondly, how it's going on? And uh, there is this uh, qualitative difference uh, between, uh, I guess, beings with the capacity for conceptual thought, uh, just going into uh, what we wrote in Noah Vincent here, but um, that humans with the capacity for conceptual thought, they shouldn't be physically harmed, as opposed to the products of that conceptual thought, namely the ideas on the other. And for humans intangible, um, we can see the physical harm being caused. Um, that was the most basic. Um, but, but ideas themselves, they're intangible. Um, and it's difficult to discern uh, the, uh, the harm to an intangible idea. Um, it does lead, in my view, to, or it should at least, uh, to regarding ideas, intangible ideas, is very resilient. It's, it's quite difficult to harm them. How that relates back to defamation law? Well, what is someone's reputation? It's um, idea about them um, that is told by them and also members of the community. And yeah, the law of defamation has had to grapple with um, you know, these issues of harm to reputation. And um, the law of defamation can be quite complex. And I think that complexity is a reflection of having to wrestle with these issues um, of well, this how has someone's reputation been harmed? Um, it, it does raise difficulties. Uh, the Section 18C of the Racial Discrimination Act is uh, Australia's uh, uh, racial hate speech law, can be considered by one. And in the book, uh, my fellow authors, Professor Augusto Zimmerman and Lorraine Fenner, and I argue that uh, Section 18C is unconstitutional because it's not supported by what is known as Australia's external affairs power. Um, so the Constitution gives uh, the right of the Australian Commonwealth Parliament to legislate with respect to external affairs. We argue that that power does not support Section 18C. Um, we also argue uh, that Section 18C impermissibly infringes, as it's known in law, um, the implied freedom of political communication, um, which is implied from Australia's constitution. So uh, that's it in a nutshell. Um, but yeah, Section 18C. Uh, does uh, make unlawful uh, certain things. Uh, you cannot uh, offend or insult, for example, um, other areas of agency, um, offend or insult someone on the basis of uh, race, color, ethnicity, etc. So uh, we argue that that 18C is an overbroad provision um, which is not supported by. Uh, the Australian Constitution or otherwise impermissibly infringes the uh, freedom of political communication with uh, that is implied from Australia's Constitution.
Well, I, Neil's sound principle it has been a very influential uh, principle of lawmaking. Um, and it has formed uh, a major part of classical liberal uh, philosophy. Um, so uh, it, it's become part of, I think, uh, the, the fabric of lawmaking and in broader society. And, but also conceptually, I mean, no one likes harm, you know, is um, uh, it's a, a, a concept that sounds unpleasant, uh, but is vague. Um, but uh, people say, well, something's harmful, better avoid it. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it doesn't surprise me, uh, given how influential the harm principle is, um, given the ubiquity of this term harm, that um, activists um, and people who wouldn't regard themselves as uh, classical liberals would nevertheless use this language. Yeah, um, and use it in an expanded sense. Um, and uh, yeah, subject um, the term harm, which uh, when it comes to lawmaking, should be uh, construed quite narrowly, but applied in that broader sense. Um, my view, well, first of all, um, I don't know the details of ANU's um, speech codes, um, but uh, I will venture some general comments concerning uh, intellectual freedom and, and university sector in general. Um, intellectual freedom should be regarded rightly as a paramount value, um, and uh, it should be any uh, university policy concerning um, but any university code of conduct should be drafted with that paramount value in mind. Um, universities are a place where there is going to be a contest of ideas. Um, if you don't think a university is like that, or think that a university should be like that, then um, you should not uh, be involved in the university sector uh, because universities are traditionally. Um, being about this contest of ideas. And um, certainly uh, when it comes to, um, well, when it comes to universities in Australia, it's this issue concerning um, the value placed on um, intellectual freedom. It is a hot topic at the moment. Uh, we've got the root case going to the high courts. Um, it'll be very interesting to see what the uh, High Court has to say um, about this issue. Um, but uh, yeah, look, my personal view is that intellectual freedom is the paramount value and um, should shape all universities which potentially could impinge on intellectual freedom.
Um, well, this relates back to something I said um, earlier, that we need to be clear about what is being harmed and how it's being harmed. Um, so uh, when it comes to issues of culture, uh, for example, and you hear terms like cultural safety um, uh, being used, well, if you unpack culture, uh, culture is ultimately based on uh, ideas on based on values, um, practices which are in turn based on um, ideas and values. These kinds of products of conceptual thought, which I um, which I referred to earlier. Um, and you have to ask yourself, well, is this something that um, should be kept safe? Um, given that, uh, given that, again, given the intangibility of ideas, um, Ideas concerning culture can be very strong, can, can survive these kind of verbal attacks, um, and uh, really don't warrant the uh, protections that uh, some activists would, would place around um, notions of culture. Um, so, yeah, you do need to be very clear what you're talking about when it comes to employing the harm principle. Um, are we talking about protecting someone? From um, tangible physical harm, or are we really talking about um, ideas or intangible products of conceptual thought, like values, like thoughts, like feelings, like sentiments, like values, those kind of things? So that's a separate category. It's, it's qualitatively different. And um, I think uh, once we're clear on those things, it, it does help navigate the harm principle. Yeah, unfortunately, um, uh, <laughs> I'm not in a position to give legal advice there. Um, so, uh, you know, do uh, consult a qualified lawyer. Um, yeah, it is an interesting issue, though. Um, when it comes to uh, speech codes in Australia, uh, it's a live issue about um, whether they actually infringe on uh, the implied freedom of political communication. Um, because um, well, there are some private universities in Australia, uh, most of them are public universities, so they're, they're creatures of statute, which uh, give a public dimension, which uh, may mean that the laws that they pass, by laws they pass, um, including um, the, the, the codes of conduct they create, may be subject to this implied freedom. It's, it's, an, it's an interesting area. Yeah, look, uh, this is, um, well, the, the book itself is um, an edited volume. Um, it's uh, the published papers from the latest edition of West Australian Jurist, which is a, a law journal that I uh, do, um, Professor Fulbasso's in. Um, and we've turned that into a book that I published through Kind of Thought. 
Um, we've got a range of authors who comment on these issues, um, not only within Australia, but also internationally. And uh, the COVID-19 pandemic has exposed perhaps the greatest challenge to uh, fundamental freedoms um, in a generation. Um, the, uh, there were uh, concerns about civil liberties in the aftermath of the September 11 um, attacks and uh, the, the need for the, the need to balance national security considerations against uh, fundamental freedoms. Here we've got, um, yeah, sweeping um, restrictions on freedom of movement um, through the lockdown strategy. Um, it, it poses extreme challenges to the um, in Australia and elsewhere. Um, and we do need to keep sight of the fact that these are fundamental freedoms for a, re a reason. Um, uh, freedom of thought, um, uh, belief, expression, um, movement are fundamental freedoms. Um, so we do need to keep that in mind. Um, it's a topic that is explored by the authors in, in, um, in our book, and uh, yeah, they, they do it very well. So, um, yeah, it, it's hard to give a concrete answer to your question considering the different strategies that uh, various jurisdictions have uh, pursued, uh, not only in Australia but internationally. Um, but the point is that we've got to keep these fundamental freedoms uh, firmly in mind. Yeah. Yeah, no, and it really shouldn't. Um, so uh, when it comes to Mill, uh, he was concerned about um, uh, the social pressures people uh, could exert on others. Um, the Hound Principle wasn't just intended by Mill to apply by states uh, regulating society, regulating individuals, but also people in society um, using those social pressures to um, for others. Um, and going earlier, uh, John Locke um, noted that there was a war of fashion, as he called it, um, something separate from state laws. A war of fashion is um, something that uh, he uh, is used to pressure others. And both Locke and Mill observed that these kind of societal laws, if I can put them that way, so making that distinction between um, the state on the one hand or laws by the state on the one hand, and the laws of society on the other, those kinds of informal social societal laws. Um, the societal laws could be far more pervasive, far more um, far reaching. Um, in their effect, and um, that they did sound a note of caution in the employment of these societal laws. So, yeah, it is something that is often looked nowadays, but I think we see it all the time. Um, if you look at um, social media mobs, um, that's a form of this kind of uh, uh, societal pressure, um, the enforcement of a form of societal law um, that we need to be very careful about. Um, yeah, it is something that has long been identified um, by liberal philosophers, classically liberal philosophers, as an issue. Yeah. 
Uh, I love the view that Neil would probably hold fast to his calm principle. Um, uh, he would look at what's going on today and just say, well, you know, this is, it just bears out what I was writing. Um, bear in mind that uh, Neil uh, did, in quantum literacy, um, advocate for uh, an expansive freedom of conscience and freedom of expression, an expansive freedom of opinion. And he'd support that today. Um, he'd still support, I think, that uh, narrow definition of harm that he uh, advocated in the harm principle. So um, the, the means of expression have taken on new form. Um, we've had this explosion in um, uh, explosion in, in terms of social media, new uh, ways of expressing yourself. But uh, I think the, the core issues concerning freedom of expression um, still um, it, it still persists today. So um, uh, it's an old problem uh, manifesting itself in new forms. But uh, I think coming back to Mill, yeah, he'd take a look at the environment today and say, no, I'm still pretty confident about that. Well, thank you so much, uh, Salvatore. It's uh, been great.